couple of lines in our liturgy that we say every week, and I want you to remind, remember those words with me for a moment there. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let's say it one more time. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. They're so familiar to us, but yet sometimes in their simplicity, I think we can overlook them because those three phrases are the axis on which every true Christian's life revolves. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This morning, I want you to think about those lines in terms of what our position is with regard to Easter, to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, as Christians, because of Jesus' resurrection, can truly die to those things which were a part of our past. Whether it's brokenness, whether it's sin, whether it's shame, whether it's just a, a life that we, don't, we want to turn away from, we have the power to do that this morning because of the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus is transforming our lives even as we are here this morning because of the resurrection of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in the reality of his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the proof that, that God is able to do what he says when he says he can bring us from death to life because he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can have hope that he is doing that work in us. We can also have hope that we are being prepared for a time of eternity with our Lord in his presence where there will be no weeping, no sighing, no, 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 no mourning, no death, but the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, the life that he is preparing for us. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I asked Jody, what does the resurrection mean to you? And she told me yesterday, she said, the resurrection means that I'm going to make it. <laughs> that I'm going to make it. There's going to be a life beyond this life that I can look forward to. As sweet as this life can be at times, that there's a life that's coming that is without flaw or failure, that is perfect and that we can look forward to. We see the reality of this axis, Christ died, Christ risen, Christ come again. In the life of Peter, as you look to the two readings, you think about the two readings we did, one from uh, Acts chapter 10 and one from, from Luke chapter 24. They, the two, among other things, they, they show us the, the evolution of, of Peter, the apostle. He goes from concerned, skeptical, inquiring but not certain about what he's looking for when he goes to that tomb at the end of Luke 24 to one who is called by Cornelius the centurion by the time we get to the book of Acts chapter 10. 
what has taken place in the life of Peter. Peter has come to understand Christ has died. Which, remember, Peter said, oh no, Lord, not you, right? He was living a different axis. Christ will... Christ has risen, Peter couldn't hear that like the other disciples. He couldn't hear it in the midst of what Jesus was saying. But Christ will come again. It's become a reality in the life of Peter by the time we get to chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And that's really where I want to spend today talking about not just the empty tomb, but the risen Lord and his effect in the life of of Peter and Cornelius. Peter doesn't receive an angelic word from the Lord. He, he gets it secondhand from the ladies that, that, that Jesus' tomb is empty and that Jesus is not present. And they begin to proclaim what the angelic voice says, which is that Jesus, in fact, has risen from the dead. The reason he's not there is because he's alive. And remember what, what the angels say, just as he told you. In other words, you didn't get it, Peter, but this is exactly what he told you was going to happen. He was going to rise again from the death. And so... Peter becomes one of the 500 or so people that we're told in Scripture are witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Our faith is based not on some hope that Jesus was raised from the dead, but the eyewitnesses of 500 people who said they saw Jesus. They ate with him. They drank with him. They fished with him. They talked to him. They touched him. The Apostle John will say, what we touched with our hands, what we saw with our eyes, we declare to you. Peter becomes part of that witnessing crowd that, that has witnessed the resurrected Jesus walking around. A transformed physicality, not just resuscitated, but transformed. And you'll hear this in the weeks to come in our gospel lessons as we talk about Jesus entering the locked room with the disciples and breathing on them the Holy Spirit and meeting the two on the way to Emmaus and all the other accounts of Jesus with the disciples, making sure they understand that resurrection is about a transformed physicality in his life. Peter has changed. His axis is corrected. He understands that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he believes and knows that Christ will come again. It's why he, pro he proclaims the gospel on the steps of the temple and sees 3,000 come to faith in Acts chapter 2. It's the reason why he will write the epistles that he does and teach and eventually go to Rome and be martyred for his Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is transformed, but I want you to see that, that he's not just transformed in those big ways, he's transformed in small ways too. Because when we get to Acts chapter 10, where do we find the, the good Jewish boy Peter? We find him living with a tanner, a guy that, you know, 
taxidermy, the guy that takes the, the, all the stuff off of the, of the dead animals, right, and, and makes the, the, the leather of their, of their outer bodies into something usable in society. Peter is living with a tanner in Joppa. And he's beginning to dream because of this vision that God gives him of eating things like shrimp and gator tail and pork. Basically the cuisine of a southern man, right? You know, or woman. If, I mean, if he was living in Florida, that's exactly what you would eat, right? And so here, you know, here he is. All these things that for the Jewish people had been considered unclean, all of a sudden God says to him in a vision, take and eat. I've lifted those bands. And it begins to take root in Peter's life. And what I want you to understand is that this is the power of the resurrection in Peter's life. He becomes a changed person. And so when he gets to Cornelius' house, remember what he says, it's like, you know that as a Jewish man, I shouldn't come into your house. But God has told me to come in, so I'm going to come in, right? And it's amazing how he begins to, to interact with Cornelius and to reveal the resurrection power in his life that, that, that because Christ has died and because Christ is raised, Peter begins to see that resurrection taking effect in his own life. Well, who is this Cornelius? He's not a miserable sinner. He's not a guy down on his luck, last breath. He's not the thief on the cross. No, Cornelius is an Italian regiment officer in the Roman army. He's a centurion, which we believe means that he had command over over 100 men. He was an important person. Acts 10 also tells us that he was a God-fearer, that he prayed continually, and that he gave his money liberally to meet the needs of others. Peter doesn't have a vision, an angelic vision like the women do at the tomb, but, but Cornelius does. And that's important because understand that at this moment in time in the scriptures, not a single Gentile was a follower of Jesus. Make sure you get that. We tend to think of Gentiles being Christians and, and Jewish people not. But at this point, every believer in Jesus was Jewish. And the concern was, could Gentiles become Christians? Cornelius is a God-fearer. He's a man of prayer and he's a generous man with his money. And he has a vision and the vision the, the angelic voice says to him in this vision, just in the same ways that, that the angelic voice spoke to the women at the tomb, go find Peter and listen to what he has to say. And so Cornelius immediately goes and he seeks out Peter by sending two of his men to Joppa. And he finds Peter and they tell him what's going on. And Peter again says, I'm a good Jewish man and I'm not supposed to, but God told me to come, so I'm going to come. And he's just, you know, like, you know, he gets it. He's, he's changed. He's, he's been transformed. And so Peter goes with Cornelius to his home. And there Cornelius has gathered his entire family. 
Grandpa, Grandma, Uncle Joe, Aunt Jean. Everybody's got an Aunt Jean. If you don't have an Aunt Jean, everybody's got an Aunt Jean, just about. No, okay, not everybody has an Aunt Jean. I have an Aunt Jean. Children, maybe even grandchildren, I don't know, lots and lots of Cornelius' family are there. And they're there to hear the words that transformed Peter has come to proclaim to them. And this is what Peter says. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Did Peter get it? I think he did. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened in Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John was proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound good to have Jesus going about healing those who are sick and oppressed by the devil? Oh, is there anything we need more in our world than Jesus going around and healing the sick, ministering to those who are oppressed by the devil? And Peter says, we were witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. You hear the axis? And he made him to appear, not to all people, but to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Christ will come again. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And what Peter is declaring there is that, yes, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. We will each give an account to our lives. Do you want to know what our motivation should be for living a moral life? It should be the fact that one day you will stand before a holy God and give an account for what you've done with your life, what I've done with my life. But the amazing good news of what Peter is saying is not simply that Jesus is the judge of the world, but that he's also the one who has the power to pardon sin, to forgive the sins of all. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Peter begins to share with Cornelius and his whole household this incredible news of the transforming work of God through Jesus because he was willing to die for our sins and because he is able to raise Christ back from the dead and because he is the judge of the world, then we have hope in Christ for our lives. And it's at this moment that 
the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius' family and friends. And you know it's the Holy Spirit because Peter quits preaching. And the only thing that makes the preacher quit is the Holy Spirit. And sometimes even then they don't know how to quit, but Peter does. And we're told that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, fell on all who heard the words. And, and, and all those believers who were circumcised, in other words, the Jewish Christians that were in the room, they all said, wow, the Holy Spirit's been poured out even on Gentiles. Imagine that. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone hold, withhold from them the water of baptism? For they who have received the Holy Spirit. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not surprisingly, they asked him to stay a few days. Now explain it all to us, now that we've experienced it. Friends, none of us gets here on our own. We don't comprehend this. We, we, we believe, to quote someone really famous, we believe in order that we might understand. But as we step out in faith and the Holy Spirit falls upon us, and reminds us that this is truth, that this is our story, that this is, this is the hope we've longed for, we can do nothing but respond. The fact that somebody could die in our place and make the difference for us, but have the power to rise again so that what they've begun in us could be accomplished and a hope that this life is not all that we have to look forward to. Paul says, if in this life we only have to enjoy Christ, we among all people should be pitied if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But, Paul says, but he has been raised from the dead. And therefore, O oh death, where is your sting? Sin has lost its power over us. Now don't get me wrong, the, the, the work of, the, of these three phrases, Christ died, Christ risen, Christ will come again, it takes a while to work out in us, but Christ has begun that work. This morning I have the privilege to baptize Anna and Parker Hungisto, but I really need to to tell you just the, the way this story connects to Cornelius and his household. Because in a lot of ways, Anna's husband, Kyle, and Kyle gave me permission to say this, Kyle, who was not a churchgoer, am I correct? Showed up at church back in November and said, God's been making himself very known to me. And I don't know quite what to do about it. And I said, man, I'm, I'm so glad you came. And we began to talk and spent some nights out here on a picnic table. And in December, it was my privilege to baptize Kyle in the Elswick's pool. 
because Kyle, in his words, said, I want the whole thing. I want to go all the way under. I need the entire experience. And I said, no problem. Let's do it. But Anna, his wife, who, who knew the Spirit had spoken to her and she knew that Christ was in her life and that she was a follower of Jesus, realized that she had never been baptized. And I remember one Sunday, you're coming to the rail and kneeling down and, and in tears saying, I'm not baptized. And I'm like, it's okay. And so today we're going to baptize Anna on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Day. Just like Cronius and his family. But not only that, they have a little boy, Parker, four years old. Lots of energy. Football scouts, be looking. Because he's, this kid's going to have some, some moves when it comes time. Or, or golf or whatever he plays. He'll be, he'll, he's got a lot of energy. But they want to also baptize little Parker. You see, it's, it's one, of the, one of the evidence for why we can baptize children is because it, it's very unlikely that Cornelius, with all of his relatives and all of his family, would all be baptized and they would say to the children, well, when you guys get older, you can get baptized. No, we think that when the Spirit fell on them, they were all baptized, their entire household. And so we're going to baptize Parker this morning as well. Not that he has an understanding yet of what it means to to say, to profess, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But in the faith that he will. With the expectation that as he goes with Miss Kim and, and to children's ministry week after week. And as he hears the gospel in his home from his grandmother Joyce and from his, his, his brother and from his, his, his mom and dad. That he will come to profess Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again in his own life. And so that's what we're going to do today. But before I bring them up, I want to just remind you of what Peter says. He says that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who trusts in Christ, even where you don't understand completely how this works, Christ invites you and we invite you to proclaim that Christ has died for you and for your sins. And that he has the power to take your sin upon himself. He who knew no sin, Paul says, became sin. That you might become the righteousness of God. That you don't have to continue to to try to be as good as Cornelius or better, but that you can take the righteousness of Christ upon yourself. And that Christ has risen from the dead, victorious over sin and death, and that not only do we have eternity with him to look forward to, but that he's beginning that transformation, that that resurrection power in your life to overcome habits to turn away from the person you were to become more the woman or man that God has called you to be and to live in expectation that Christ will come again but that you don't need to fear his judgment because Christ has died in your place and you 
are made new in him. So I just want to pause and say a, a simple prayer and invite any of you who might be in that place of saying, Alex, I don't get it all, but, but I want the Holy Spirit to fall on me the way you described it to Cornelius' family. I just invite you to pray this with me. It's simple. It's A, B, C. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am in need of a Savior. And I believe that God raised you, Jesus, from the dead. And so now I confess you as my Lord. I ask you to become master of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would be privileged to know. If you prayed that prayer, I would invite you to come to the rail and cross your hands as Anna has done for weeks and weeks. And let me or one of the other clergy pray over you. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Alleluia, the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia.